the leaders who are able to just genuinely invest time asking good questions and listening to people every day, boy, that will be so highly valued and influential. On the topic of leadership, I I really hope we can get back to some of those fundamentals and leaders start investing even more time in that soon. Welcome to season two of Aim Higher. We are excited to enter a great season. And our first guest is someone you're going to love, StrengthsFinder 2.0, Tom Rath. Join us in this conversation now. Today we have consultant, researcher, author, I should add filmmaker. He has a film about health and well-being called Fully Charged. Nonfiction books, children books, titles like... Strengths Finder, How Full Is Your Bucket, Strengths-Based Leadership, Are You Fully Charged, Eat, Move, Sleep, Vital Friends, The Rechargeables, and he's been called one of the greatest thinkers of our time. And so today we're glad to have Tom Rath. He's definitely one of my key influencers, a handful of people who've made a meaningful impact on my own life. And listeners should note, forgive me if I move from interview to a fan a little bit too much, uh, Tom, but we're so grateful to have you. You know from over the years, I'm a big fan of yours. We're thrilled to talk about your new book coming out called Life's Great Question, Discover How You Can Contribute to the World. But we'll also touch on uh, any and everything because your work is so expansive. So, Tom, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. It's an honor to talk with you, Skip. Well, um, let's let's start off with your uh, personal story because, frankly, it's unbelievable and um Some of us have known about this for a long time, but you've lived your entire adult life fighting a rare disease that causes cancer cells to appear anywhere. And yet in the midst of all that, you've influenced millions of us uh, around the world. You've sold millions of books. And uh, the obvious question is, how has that influenced your career, your life, your own passion? In other words, um, I guess I would put it in in this book's um, words, Take us into your family reunion and your cousin's comments. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that when I was 16, as you mentioned, I was diagnosed with a real rare genetic disorder that essentially just shuts off one of the body's most powerful tumor-suppressing genes. And I was diagnosed at 16 and lost all my vision uh, in my left eye to eye tumors at that point. And the doctors said to me, you know, basically, you over whatever course of a lifetime you might live, they thought it might be between 35 and 40 years back then. They said you will battle kidney cancer and pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors and adrenal cancer and cancer in your brain and spine. And so it was it was a lot to deal with back then. And this new book opens with a question from an aunt at a reunion in Nebraska where she was saying, you know, we didn't think you'd be with us this long. And that caused me some serious reflection because I'd been kind of powering through and trying to get a lot done in those uh, 20, 25 years and didn't really think that much about it in the big scheme of things. But uh, that helped me to step back. And with this book, Life's Great Question, uh, kind of ask the start at the very high level of what's the big picture of why we do what we do each day and why it matters. And then drill all the way down through this process of working on this book and kind of website profile around how do we get to the granularity of how each of us can get more specific about how we can make a greater contribution today. So I've kind of worked along that continuum. And um, as you mentioned, it, it starts at that high level. And in addition to my own personal experience, so I've been trying to essentially pack as much life as I could into uh, 
the time that I had left each day, and that's oriented my thinking. I've been increasingly fascinated by and kind of haunted each day by my favorite quote of all time from Dr. Martin Luther King, where he said that life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And while that sounds like a real high-level existential question, I've been asking myself that almost every day for the last few years to say, how can I orient what I'm about to do for the next six, 10 hours around the influence, the positive influence that could have for other people? And what I found, it's kind of fun. It's liberating to see that when you orient more and more of your daily efforts outward instead of looking inward, it just it makes your days less stressful and it makes your work more meaningful. So well said. And that journey you're on to get as much life in your days, it's its a lesson that I think all of us need to master. And yet you've had that uh, forced on you in, in so many ways because of this diagnosis. Well, there's another quote you you quoted, one of my, my favorite as well with Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote, but you have a quote that uh, is is in your book that you're ta- that people use all the time, and I'm going to read from your book on page ten because you say, uh, and this is from another work, but you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be a lot more of who you already are. That's your quote, and and then I'm going to read what you wrote. You said, of all the content I have written, this is the most commonly cited passage. Yet this is an incomplete thought at best, and may even lead to a misguided focus. To be clear, I am more confident than ever you cannot be anything you want to be. What I struggle with is the part about trying to be more of who you already are. When I reflect on that advice, my concern is that it can feed into a self-focused mindset. So exactly opposite of that quote that you referred earlier. How do you do that? How do you orient people in this world of personal branding and self-glorification and Instagram photos and everything's perfect from that self-focus, how do you help people and guide them into that other focus mindset? You know, it's, it's kind of fun to think about it. As you were saying that, I realized that this new book will probably or inevitably end up on the self-improvement shelf too, <laughs> That's right? right. <laughs> so um, it, it it is challenging. And I think there's so many especially when we think about people development and organizations and teams, there are a lot of things that tell us, look inward, be more diagnostic about yourself, but yet the mission of any group or organization is usually to do something that's of service to another community or constituency. So um, I think the trick in all of that is to say, here's who I am, here's what's important in my life, but to take your natural talents and say, here is how they can be applied to have a positive influence for another person. Because if you just keep looking in and say, and saying, what are my talents? How do I build on those? How do I keep looking inward? The problem occurs when that doesn't align with what the world needs. And so I'm kind of challenging people in this new book to say, look around you at what the world needs and how other people could benefit from your efforts and your work, and then take your natural talents as point A and connect that to those outcomes. And there's a, it's a, it brings up a bigger question because the gap between 
all the talent that people have bottled up and what the world needs, there, I mean, there's just a huge mismatch and lack of alignment there on average. So this is just one small idea. We've, we've got a lot of work to do there. Absolutely. And it's a complete reorientation. And it seems like society, we've gotten more and more away from serving others, serving your country to uh, serving serving self. And and Tom, I, I love this quote too of, of yours um, later on in the book, uh, because so many people think, oh, if I want to pursue my calling, my mission, my purpose, I have to quit my job for my own business. And sometimes those people are, are suited for that. And sometimes they're just not. And I always tell people what what you seem to be saying in this book that you know many times you can find great work where you are and and you need to to look at it. Your your quote is, "Great work is forged with effort. It does not just fall from the heavens." I just love that because I, I think so many people think it, it will somehow um, that you know your your boss arrives and says. Thanks for serving this, and now we're going to transition you to this awesome work. Can you comment a little bit about uh, about that? Yeah, you know, I, in all the years I've spent interviewing people and studying uh, great careers and success in the workplace, I've yet to meet someone who told me that they fell into the perfect job right out of college and continued a nice linear trajectory where their career just got better each month or each year. It didn't, that never occurs. And But yet we kind of hold that myth out in the back of our head when in reality, a typical career um, usually doesn't start off near its peak or ideal place. And it's a series of hills and peaks and valleys where you make a little progress, you go backwards for sometimes years at a time, and it's really bumpy along the way. But we've got to keep our eye on the bigger picture where as long as you see how you can make improvements within your current job, within your current team, within your organization in many cases, and you're making a forward progress over broader periods of time, that's what's most important. And I, I think there is a temptation in this world of kind of immediate gratification to say, I'm just going to jump to another job. And that's the answer when, if you continue to do that time and time again, that, that may even take you in the wrong direction. Whereas, as you mentioned, there's often an opportunity to say, how can I take the job I have and make it into a job that I love and make it into a job that serves your well-being and your life, as well as serving other people in the process? I I am concerned that uh, all of us kind of suffer from just really low expectations in terms of expecting to have better family lives, to have better physical health because of the jobs that we engage in today. We don't, we, we've come out of a era and generations of low expectations and that's slowly starting to improve, but we're still not at the point where most people uh, go to work and come home with more energy and better relationships because of the work they do. And what a transition that will be, I think, for, for everybody. And at the same time, you also talk about following your passion. And it's contrarian advice because you say that you know following passion, your passion may be bad advice. So if that's bad advice, what do you suggest people do? Yeah, I was struck when I was uh, preparing for a conversation I was having with a guy named Ben Horowitz, who he started the venture capital firm, Andreessen Horowitz, but he'd given a commencement address that I found on YouTube at Columbia University. And his basic thesis in this commencement address was, forget about following your passion. Instead, 
follow your contribution or where you can make a contribution. And that was like the Dr. King quote, one of many threads that inspired me to do a much deeper dive here, because I think if, I mean, if we just follow our passion, I may have a, a passion for golf or video games or hiking. And well, it's good to have outlets and it's great to have hobbies. If though, if my engaging in those activities isn't making other people's lives better in the process or contributing to something that can continue to grow in my absence, I would argue it's probably not a primary occupation that you'd spend most of your time in life on. So I, I think if people start when they're coming out of college or uh, considering changes in their career by asking where they think they can make the greatest contribution to their community, that's probably a better place to start than by saying, how can I spend more time following my passion? I love that. I know there's another saying people often say, follow your passion and the money will follow. And I often say, you know, I love to be on the beach, but I've, I've been on the beach sometimes a long time and no money has arrived. Even though, you know, right. So I, I think the uh, contribution is definitely a better yeah. place uh, to, to start. Um, and um, I want to just, I just want to jump around to a few other things that you, you talk about these, these 12 contributions, right? We're not going to go through them, but in this, this new book, life's great question, you offer an assessment with the book to give you yours and how will finding your unique contribution help you T talk a little bit about that for those uh, who don't know about this book and the profile. Yeah. You know, like a lot of books that I've worked on, I want to, I always want to have some activity that people do so they can apply what they've learned in the book and talk about it with friends and colleagues and teams. And so uh, we put together a, this Contribify website with this book that my higher level goal there was to get people to build a basic profile for themselves that speaks to what are the main roles they play in life. So for me, it's being a a dad and a husband and a researcher and what are the big experiences in my life that have influenced my work and to kind of so I put those into the system and then it generates a profile with my all those elements my strengths and these contributions you mentioned those 12 contributions that I hope can be a much more personal and meaningful source for dialogue and growth between people than the resume and so the if I mean, if you really, if you step back and think about it, I couldn't imagine a more sterile, less personal way to summarize a person's life than a resume or a LinkedIn profile today, frankly. And so, I would, I would hope that we could get teams together in community or work groups or families, and people can sit down and say, "Here's who I am as a person. Here's what matters to me. Here's how I want to contribute to a team," and use that profile as a much better jumping off point for productively working with a group over time. And so that's that's what we're trying to put together as kind of an open utility for people with this. I group. love it. And it it works really hand in hand with with the other books and work that you've done, obviously, um, in terms of understanding yourself and then how you can relate to the team, contribute to others, and work more effectively uh, with your team. Well, I want to shift gears and just ask you some some random questions about uh, different books and different things that you've done uh, as well. They all relate, um, but particularly in Are You Fully Charged and Eat, Move, Sleep, you focus so broadly on health. And I'm just curious, what do you see as the thing that most people get wrong 
when they, you know, they think about health, they read the latest fad. Maybe they read, you know, the latest research is coffee's good for you. And then the next day they read coffee's bad for you. Or <laughs> what do most people get wrong when they're thinking about their own well-being? Boy, it's a, it's a great question. And it feeds into the discussion we were just having about the contribution book. It, it, and it's an asterisk I would put on the title of this new book because the, it's it's always good to focus outward on what you're doing for others in general. The one exception to that is when it comes to your own health and well-being that you were just mentioning where what I've learned through a deep dive on this is that if if I don't prioritize my own sleep and energy and time with my family and what I'm eating and those those central elements that I need to have that energy to be my best every day, there's no way I can be as effective for other people as I hope to be in this lifetime. So it's, you know, I was just uh, flying back for the holidays with my kids and the the really happy Southwest flight attendant comes up to me and he says, you know, you need to put your son's oxygen mask on first before yours. And I kind of laugh, but it's, it's that basic tried but true metaphor where when it comes to health and well-being, the thing people do wrong most is they just worry about getting through all the demands of a day and putting everybody else's needs ahead of their own. And they forget to prioritize seven or eight hours of their own sleep. And they forget to prioritize being active throughout the day because they get so caught up in stuff and they end up just seated in a chair for 10 hours a day. And so in that realm, you do need to put your own uh, needs first, even if you're only doing it to be your best for other people. Yeah, I love it because contribution is impossible if you're not at your at your best. So, y- your work also demonstrates, uh, you know, these the small choices make the difference. And so, even with that prioritization, I've I've found it so particularly helpful. I know I've I've used your own tips as hacks. You know, you'll have um, you know not hit the snooze button and explaining why. Or I love this one. Um, which was the starting point for me of putting only healthy food at eye level and, and then eventually then eventually mm-hmm. getting rid of anything that's not. Um, but these little tips and uh, and tricks and hacks, I call them, that that your books have all, all based on research. Is there anything that most surprised you from all of these small choices when you were doing the research? It continues to amaze me what creatures of habit we are, where um, I, I know that I don't, I don't have that much more willpower than anyone else. And um, if there's a, a bag of like peanut butter pretzels or cookies or something sitting on the counter in front of me and I see it as I walk through my kitchen, it's as good as <laughs> gone. If that's not there in the first place or there's an open bowl of fruit and nuts or something, then that's what I'll grab for as I go by. So if if we structure our environment so that there are healthy defaults around us. So I have my office set up. I have it set up so that the my best computer screen is on top of a treadmill. So it forces me to get on the treadmill and walk if I want to use my best and highest powered computer with the big screen and stuff instead of my small screen laptop it's connected to that's if I'm sitting down. Um, but it's just setting these little things up so that it forces us into the, or we're more likely to make the right decisions and have a cumulative better behavior over time, essentially. And then I think once you start to build those things into your routine and you see, I've realized that if I don't get seven or eight hours of sleep, there's just no way I can be that functional or be my best, especially into the afternoons and the evenings with my kids. And so, I mean, just, I mean, to be real practical, as we were talking about, I've calculated working backwards that when I'm traveling, I actually need almost nine, sometimes 10 hours of 
time in bed in order to get seven or eight hours of good sleep. Whereas when I'm at home, as long as I have eight and a half, I know I can get seven and a half or eight of good sleep. And so I adjust that when I'm on the road, but you kind of have to work back from the most likely scenario there and then make sure you get enough sleep because, and I start with sleep each time because one good night can kind of be the reset button on a video game or a smartphone where it clears the slate. Even if you've had a, a bad day the day before, you get one good night's sleep, you're more likely to be active throughout the day. You're more likely to uh, eat lower fat, fewer fried foods and the like, and it starts these upward spirals. So that's a good reset place to start. Tom, I love that. I love that. One good night's sleep is so vitally important and many of us struggle with that. And so making it a priority, I think, is is key. And as as you analyze daily well-being, you also emphasize that pursuing happiness and pursuing meaningfulness are very different things. Why is that? What what do most people not understand about the difference between pursuing happiness and pursuing meaningfulness? Yeah, you know, it's similar to what we were discussing with uh, focusing inward on your own kind of personality from a development standpoint versus outward, where if you're out there spending your time in each during each day asking, how can I make myself happier? You're probably going to be chasing that for a long, long time because it feeds into that cycle of trying to do something that looks inward and fulfills or satisfies yourself instead of working on the people and circles around you and trying to figure out how you can help your collective network and the people you care about to have greater well-being, which everything I've studied would suggest that if you're adding meaning, which usually means creating well-being as well for other people, that's a great pursuit. And that will boost the well-being and health of your network in the process. So that's probably the best place to start, even if you're thinking about just the creation of well-being. I would orient most of my efforts toward the creation of well-being for the people I care about most and then for my community as well. I love it. Other other orientation is so key. Well, StrengthsFinder is another obvious key uh, part of your work. Strengths, StrengthsFinder 2.0, I love what Forbes said. They said, Rath's book is to bestseller list what the Big Dipper is to our night sky. You can't miss it. And that is true. And if you haven't taken the assessment, you may be the only one left on this planet to do that. So you <laughs> must do it very quickly. And uh, But the strengths-based leadership part of it particularly intrigued me, both how you categorized it and and I'm looking at that and I'm looking at this new book and I'm curious just just for a quick guide for leaders Tom how do leaders best maximize the strengths of the individuals on their team combined with this new book and the Contribify website and understanding their unique contributions how can leaders use both of these books and these tools in order to maximize their team effectiveness Yeah and that's exactly where I hope uh people gain the most utility from some of the new uh, content and applications that I've put together here because it's, I think, starting with your natural talents from that StrengthsFinder uh, assessment in particular, that's my biased favorite, is the best place to start when you're looking at how you can have an outsized influence in the world. And so one of the first components that I uh, ask people to pull into that Contribify profile in addition to the roles they play in life and their most influential life experiences are their strengths, either from the strength finder assessment or in their own words, if they haven't taken that. And then to 
sit down with their team, ideally, or with another, well, at least one other person, and map out how can you apply your natural uh, tendency to be more competitive, let's say, of competition on StrengthsFinder, in order to make a contribution to this group or team effort. And my big concern right now is that most of us join and form teams, and we just all hit the ground running and start charging forward, but we never step back and have a conversation about who we are, why we're getting together, what we do best, what our, each of our strengths are, and how each of us want to contribute to a given effort. And so as a product, because we don't stop and pause and do that, what happens is we assemble teams, at least I have in the past, where we bring together a bunch of like-minded people who in many cases kind of do the same things well, and then we all start running downfield as fast as we can. And six months later, we realize we were all headed in the same direction doing the same things, and we weren't kind of having a cohesive complementary group effort there. And I think if we just bring some of those lenses in and have a conversation up front, it should result in much better efforts from teams, much clearer expectations, and each of us kind of feeling like we've made a greater contribution along the way. Well, it, it's true. And this no pause, time, urgency, rush, rush, rush. Um, I, I, you know, one other leadership tidbit that I really took away from the strengths-based leadership, say that three times, that struck me was your research on time of the leader. Um, you said that the median duration of the relationship between a follower and, and the person who has the most impact on their daily life is 10 years. And it, it struck me in a world you know, where leaders turn over perhaps too fast, where the leader feels like you have 90 days to make a difference. It takes years to develop trust, years to make an impact. And just like you said on this team, you have to stop and pause and assess people's strengths and people's contributions before you just get off and running. So it just struck me that you know, in just the world that we're in and as fast things go, you can't speed up a relationship. You can't just make trust happen. No, and I'm glad you brought that up because – I think the most powerful thing that a leader can do in the next 25 years will be walking up to someone who they care about and want to invest in the development of and asking that person a really good question and then keeping their device stowed away and keeping their mouth closed and just genuinely listening to that person's answer for maybe even 10, 15 minutes. Um and that's that is already increasingly rare and i think the the leaders who are able to just genuinely invest time asking good questions and listening to people every day boy that will be so highly valued and influential with each increasing year to come as our attention is often pulled in another direction and it gets more fragmented so I, I, on the topic of leadership i i really hope we can get back to some of those fundamentals and leaders start investing even more time in that soon. Yeah. And the pull on leaders always is in the short term and, you know, the results. And yet it's that impact on people that really makes the most difference long term on earnings, on market share, on meaningful growth and, and, and everything. That time just has to be invested. You cannot short circuit that. And I think that you make that clear. It's just like your priority for sleep, you have to prioritize the people. And, I, and if you just take it back to even a personal level, I mean, every hour invested in the growth of one of your closest relationships will just continue to grow and grow and grow. And we've got to find ways to 
create discipline around doing that so that I know that I'm carving out a dedicated half day to spend time doing something specific with my daughter that will help her growth or someone who looks to me for guidance or leadership. I'm spending an hour doing nothing other than helping them to think about and map their growth and how their day and their routine looks. And I think if we're more conscious about those investments as being very substantial things that have huge returns, just like an hour invested in trying to sell a product, that it'll start to put that in perspective to your point. Well, Tom, um, thank you for your work and for this time. Nobody knows the value of time to the degree you do, considering all that you've been through and and all the, the time that you've invested in others. And thank you for consistently filling up all of our buckets. It, it is remarkable. And um, we, we deeply appreciate your research and your willingness to share it with all of us. I use it all the time. Um, I, it, it's funny, when I go back and, and look at some of your, your books, I've just devoured them to a degree where it's just part of my thinking. And I think that it's the thinking of many because you've been so willing to share it. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. And thanks for your time and all that you're doing. Thanks, Tom. We will, um, we will look for this book. It is called life's great question. Discover how you contribute to the world. And it is going to be available everywhere. Where can people learn more about your, uh, you and the Contribuify profiling. Yeah, they can learn more about uh, these uh, new books we have coming out uh, in early 2020 and uh, the other books at tomrath.org, or they can check out that new Contribuify uh, website and application as well. That's its own standalone website. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. And if you like what you hear, please rate us in iTunes. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre. Always aim higher.